Welcome to the Forest FM podcast, episode 126. I'm Killian Vigna. And I'm Zoe Bilil Springer. This week on the show, we're joined by Billy Rickman, coach and founder of the Salon Growth Conference, to discuss the mindset and business methodology of salonpreneurs and how it can best prepare you for the future. So grab yourself a cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and join us weekly for all your salon's business and marketing needs. Good morning, Zoe. Good morning, Killian. So at the Salon Owner Summit this past January, someone recommended I read the book Mindset, The New Psychology of Success. It's uh, written by Carol S. Dweck. It was written in 2007. I like it's funny because in the last two weeks from listening to different podcasts and stuff like that, I keep hearing this book recommendation, but also our executive in the education department has this book <laughs> currently sitting on her table. <laughs> well, maybe she should pass it on to me after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, seriously, like since since then, um, many of my conversations with industry people, like I've been hearing the, the word mindset thrown around like almost as often as we used to hear the word hustle. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, it's kind of like, a good thing because mindset I think can actually change quite a bit uh, of things but we already know this right so yeah I'm just really curious about this episode because this is all going to be essentially about mindsets. Yeah, well, it's the, it's the mindset of the new age salonpreneur and like mindset is, we've three values here at Forest. We've service gahintok, can-do attitude and growth mindset. And that is the biggest one that we, well, other than service gahintok, which in Irish means excellent service, uh, providing excellent service. But yeah, the growth mindset is probably the one that we play a lot of focus on internally. And I had um, a meeting with my team lead only this week. And again, it came up about growth mindset and developing that and kind of basically what can you use around you to help you grow, but also help the people around you grow. So I suppose there's no better person to talk about this, the mindset of the new age salonpreneur than Billy Rickman. Welcome to the show, Billy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. So Billy, um, today's episode, as we've already mentioned, and we'll probably say it a few times, the mindset of the, the salonpreneur or the new the new age salonpreneur, it comes from a recent ebook that you released, which I actually really recommend everyone read. Uh, as I was going through it, I thought it was great. Went through it just there a few weeks ago, which is kind of where we decided, you know what, actually, let's, let's get Billy on to talk about this. Um, but you, it, it's kind of interesting because at the start of that ebook, your mindset wasn't always um, focused on the salon industry, was it? No. Like you had a whole different approach to life like 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I left school uh, not knowing what I wanted to do and everyone said, oh, you should probably go to university. And so I went to university and I was doing um, tourism management, which I still don't know to this day what, what that was about. I lasted about six months and a couple of my friends said, hey, why don't we join the Navy? And uh, so I honestly was just a bit lost at that stage. I was 18 and uh, thought, why not? Let's just go to join the Navy. The four of us went down to recruitment. Um, three of us didn't end up signing up, so those three didn't, and uh, and I did, and I ended up um, joining the navy and spent <laughs> eight years in the Royal Australian Navy. So you literally got drafted into the navy. <laughs> yeah, everybody else thought it was a good idea, but nobody else did it, and uh, I literally got drafted by my friends, even by the government, by my friends into the navy. Yeah, yeah. I think they wanted to get rid of me. <laughs> So how do you come into the salon industry? I know you talk about this in your ebook, but I think it's such a good story that we should definitely talk about this on the show today. Yeah, I was talking actually to somebody the other day about um, entrepreneurship and about how I didn't really know that I was I had an entrepreneurial mindset until I got into business. Because one of the things I used to get in trouble for in the Navy is, um, you know, the, the Australian Navy is comes from the English Navy or the British Navy. And so it's steeped in hundreds of years of tradition. Mm-hmm. And so everything they do is always got a reason for doing it because that's just what they used to do. And every time, I, you know, I would see 
them doing activities or exercises where it would take 10 men and take an hour. And I would just casually say to my superiors, like, you know, you could probably do this with two people in 15 minutes if you did it this way. And I used to get in trouble for it all the time because, like, you just don't question it, right? It's like, this is the way we've always done it. This is how you do it. But as an entrepreneur, I think you're always looking for innovative ways and ways to make things better and easier. I think that's what pushes entrepreneurs along. Like, it's, it's that constant drive to, to want to wanna make things better for, for society or whatever you're trying to create. But I never quite understood that when I was there. I just thought I was maybe, like, you know, a bit naughty. But um, <laughs> so I, I, I did this for eight years and then I was, um, when, I, when I went away to Iraq a couple of times and I'd saved up some money, we got paid uh, what they call danger money, which looks really cool on your pay slip. It actually says danger money. And uh, so we got paid all these, these benefits and tax allowances and that. And I, so I saved up a bit of money. And when I came back, I bought some properties, some houses. And um, I was with a girl at the time, and she was also in the Navy and due to get out of the Navy. And she said, um, I said, well, what are we going to do? And she said, well, I saw this beauty salon I'd like to buy. And I was like, okay, what is it? And she said, it's a franchise, and I think it'd be really interesting. And I said, okay, cool, let's, let's have a look. And I was so naive to it. I was just caught up in my military career, and I was going away all the time. And, and I trusted her. I loved her. So uh, I said, okay, cool, let's, let's do it. And I bought it for her. And then I got deployed again to Iraq for the second time. And when I came back, um, I sort of said to her, how's the business going? And she said, oh, it's going really well. And I had a look in the bank and there was no money in the bank. And um, I didn't really understand business at the time. And so I started asking questions of some people. And it turns out that she was using all the money to, um, to have a pretty cool party lifestyle with her and her friends. She would fly her friends all over Australia and get some penthouses and, uh, you know, have a pretty luxurious lifestyle on, on the business's expense. But it wasn't just that the business was paying for it. It was also accruing debt. So she also wasn't paying creditors. She wasn't paying the expenses of the business. So um, when I came back, I, I found this out and I said to her, look, we're going to have to have to separate. And um, I said, what are you going to do with the business? She said, I don't care. It's in your name and your properties are attached to it. So you figure it out. Wow. So uh, <laughs> it was super nice of her really good time in my life. Um, and so uh, I had to leave the Navy. It normally takes 12 months to have a military discharge, but um, you can put in like an emergency discharge. So I got out in three months and I went into the, the beauty industry. And uh, my first day in the beauty salon, I was just, I remember just so clearly just sitting there going, what the hell am I doing? And like <laughs> women were coming in and asking about waxing and stuff. And I was just standing at the front counter. Just like, it's so awkward, you know. And, um, but one of the, I, I, I found that, and then we went through this whole separation thing and the, the way, because we were de facto, she ended up getting the houses and I ended up getting the business and the business wasn't good. So I was kind of in a, in a situation where it's like single swim. You either figure this out and make it work or you're just going to lose everything you've worked for for eight years. And so I got a business coach and um, he was a specialist in systemizing businesses. And uh, I found out through him that I wasn't just naughty in the Navy and, and questioning things. I found out that I, I actually really enjoy business and I actually enjoy creating new things. And, um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how my whole journey started. And in 12 months, I managed to rebalance the, the business and uh, sold it and then uh, started my own franchise. And that was it. Sounds like one hell of a 12 yeah. months. <laughs> um, I have to ask, what, what was more stressful doing a few tours in Iraq or that 12-month period of running the salon? Um, the, the salon, yeah. <laughs> not, even, not even the 12 months. I, I often talk about this story because in the, in the Navy, it's, it's predominantly male. It's probably 90% male, 10% female. And then so when I, I remember the story so clear, and as I rise, I got through the ranks in the Navy, 
I, um, I ended up <coughs> like, you know, you could tell people what to do or you were your subordinates. And so I would be in charge of like cleaning or what have you and say to, to one of the, the sailors, hey, can you go and empty the bin? And away they go and empty the bin. But when I was in the salon and it was predominantly females, um, I remember it was like I would ask one of the females to empty the bin and then one of the other females in the salon came up to me and said, are you, are you angry at, at, I forget her name, Sarah or something? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, because you went asked her to empty the bin. Like she wants to know, did she do something wrong? Are you annoyed at her? <laughs> and it was just such a flip to what I was used to because I was around all the males and now I'm around all females and I really had to adapt. And I think that was the hardest thing in the first 12 months is just males and females are different. And I was just trying to understand how to manage myself in a totally different environment. That alone is a serious mind shift, just like dealing with different genders. <laughs> yeah, but it served me so well <laughs> in my married life. <laughs> it was totally different. Honestly, I, I felt like um, I just walked into another world. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. And, and uh, it makes it sound like it was a really like terrible time, but it wasn't. I, I, it was during that that I really discovered that I loved customer service. I loved helping people. I loved the challenge of business. Um, I loved the challenge of working with different people because I'd just done the same thing for so long. And so uh, that first 12 months for me was, was the hardest, probably the hardest 12 months of my life, but also probably the most rewarding uh, 12 months of my life. Yeah. Like you said, it's the sink or swim. So that's when you're going to learn. It's like when your dad throws you into the deep end of the pool without your armbands, <laughs> which also came up in conversation this week before as well already. <laughs> um, so, so look, Billy, since then, you've been really kind of focused on education and mentoring. I suppose as someone who didn't come from the salon industry by choice, more kind of like um, by accident, what makes your coaching style different to someone who made that decision to go into the salon industry? Yeah, so I actually, I started a franchise, I ended up getting 12 locations um, in in about six years, seven years. Um, and it was through that process that um, I kind of learned a lot and mainly about what not to do. That was that was probably the biggest takeaway about what not to do in business. It was just, you know, you hear people talk about it all the time, but it's, it's, it's the experience of making mistakes. And um, from those mistakes, the last couple of years in the franchise system, it, it became hyper-competitive. And um, there was a lot of, um, whereas it used to be, you know, beauty salon owners or hair, or hair salon owners used to own the business. All of a sudden in Australia, there seemed to be a shift and it was corporate entities with <clears throat> venture capital backing or, finance, you know, private equity backing that were coming in and they were coming with $40, $50 million budgets and then just open 40 or 50 locations, you know, in, in 18 months. And so it all changed really, really quickly over here. And so one of the things we had to do, again, is to sink or swim. You go, well, what am I going to do? do? Do I just fold or do I find a different way? And so one of the things that we do in our coaching is we always, our mission of, of our coaching is we always want to be on the leading edge of technology and we always want to be on the leading edge of um, new ideas and new strategies. And I think I talk about this in a lot in the book that, the old strategies of just word of mouth, having a good quality service, word of mouth and repeat business is, um, it's just, it's not, I mean, I can't say for, for Ireland or I can't say for different countries, but certainly over here, it's just not the case anymore because if you're not making noise, if you don't have the attention of your customers, then there will be a competitor who is making more noise and have more and get more attention and they will eventually take your clients. So never having that experience of being behind the chair, as they say, that's kind of benefited you because you got to just purely focus on the business side. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely 100% think that that's a huge advantage. And I think, um, you know, I don't want to tempt people when they come to my coaching or they talk to me about business or consulting, whatever we're doing, 
one of the first things I want to do is create a path about how they can get out from behind the chair or get out from, um, if there's a beauty, you know, beauty salon about getting out of the room because ultimately you have a certain business owner. If you compare business owner A and business owner B, if business owner A is working 40 hours behind the chair and they're serving clients all the time, they're cutting and styling and coloring. And then the only time they have to work on the business is between six o'clock in the morning and seven o'clock in the morning. And then six thirty at night and seven thirty at night, if they can't, if they aren't looking after their children, if they aren't managing the family, if they don't have, you know, the errands to run and the house to maintain, if they don't have all the social things they want to do as well, you know, that window gets smaller and smaller and smaller. If you compare that to somebody who has trained, mentored and developed a team that's in a salon that's doing all of the cutting, colouring, styling or doing all the beauty services and they're spending 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours doing nothing but solely focusing on building a brand, building a culture, training the team, doing good mentoring programs, putting career paths in place, looking at the marketing, you know, going to networking sessions and meeting new people in business, surrounding themselves with people in the industry in the area or, or from different industries in, in the area who are supporting the business. If they're doing that full time, then person A just has no chance at all of competing against person B. They just don't. I see it. We've got a couple of hundred salon clients um, that we work with and I see it all the time. And I can see the shift in the business and how the business fundamentally changes when they start to work on the business. So like you talk about the new age salonpreneur in the ebook quite a bit. Um, what was the biggest disruptor for you? Was it like the whole technology aspect? Like what made you coin this term? And then second, what differentiates a salon owner as we know it and a new age salonpreneur? Is that kind of that shift, that business shift? I love the term salonpreneur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny when I was pointing it, some people just rolled their eyes at me and said, that's lame. And I was like, I'm just going to go with it anyway. <laughs> so uh, we're here with it. That's catchy. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, the difference is exactly what we just spoke about. The old salon owner, and not old in age, but old in strategy, uh, the old salon owner is still believes that the old model works. Um, with If I can cut a really good haircut, if I can do a really good skin treatment and those people go and tell somebody, then I can have a surviving and thriving business. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's hard for me to say internationally across the world, but certainly over here, it's just not the case. And so salonpreneurs are people who fundamentally see their business as a business first and they see the technical side of it second. And so people always say, oh, well, so you don't believe in training for, for the business? Yeah, I totally believe in training for the business, but let your team do the training. Hire a team of hairdressers, hire a team of beauty therapists or skin technicians or estheticians and get them, give them the training and the mentoring and put them on the development courses for the skin and the hair. But as a business owner, as a salonpreneur, you should be focusing all of your time firstly on the business and the business development. And then secondly, if you have time, then keep up to date with the technical side. And, um, you know, with technological advances now, it, it just, it's getting crazy. Some people are like, oh, there's a, there's a famous saying, I forget who said it. Um, uh, it was either Steve Jobs or, or maybe even Henry Ford said, it, you know, it said, um, the horse and carriage just ain't coming back. And it's true. Like as much as some people might like riding a horse and they wish that they could go back to riding horses down the street, it's not coming back. And in, you know, in 10 years time, like Uber at the moment, are developing the new age Uber, which is drones. So a drone will come and pick you up and then, you know, take you away. So in 10 years' time, people are probably going, oh, I wish there was cars. But unfortunately, you don't have control over the way culture goes. And the way that industry is going, the way business is going in general is technology is speeding up. It's not slowing down. And so if you're sitting there now going, oh, I'm just getting the hang of Facebook, you're probably in a bit of trouble because now, you know, there's so many different features coming available. 
Um, one of the things that I didn't touch on in the book, but one of the things I'm, I'm working on at the moment, I'm speaking to a guy in Germany, we speak we, with um, collaborating at the moment, and he specializes in artificial intelligence. So at the moment, I talk about messenger bots. I don't know if you guys have touched on messenger bots before, um, but essentially for people who don't know what that. Yeah, yeah, recently enough. Yeah, awesome. So um, the ability is to be able to program uh, a bot to be able to talk on your behalf. The next step of that is artificial intelligence where the bot on either your Facebook or Instagram will learn over a month, two months, three months, exactly how I talk, what emojis I use, what GIFs I use, how I would respond, what jokes I would say. And so in three months' time, the client would have no distinguishing difference between whether or not they're talking to me or whether or not they're talking to the bot because they would be identical because the artificial intelligence side has been programmed and learned how to behave exactly like me. And so can you imagine that if I own a business and someone else owns a business, how much of an advantage it is for me because I can literally go away for four weeks on holiday. I could come and see you guys in Ireland and my, my bot would just take care of business. That'd be sweet. And no one would be the one. <laughs> Well, the beauty of that is, like you said, it could take three months for that um, that AI or the chatbot to get to that level. But that means you you need to start now. So in three months, you've kind of built that time. You've gotten yourself ahead. Uh, you've already said if you're only getting to, to grips with Facebook now, you're way behind. So um, it is a case of start now. We've heard about it. Just do it. Um, what else have you kind of seen as like the biggest disruptors then in that case? Yeah, definitely messenger bots is is huge. And Facebook, have um, they just had their F8 Summit, which is, for people who don't know, is their main conference of the year. And Mark Zuckerberg came out um, at F8 and said, if I started Facebook again, I would have started with Messenger. And from internally, the reports are that Facebook is putting more money into Messenger than any other single department in Facebook. So there's a big shift towards Messenger. And the fact they bought WhatsApp um, means that, they, that Facebook are looking heavily or investing heavily into the, the you know direct messaging sort of features and functions and so sometimes you've just got to put the pieces together and go what are they doing and how is it working and I think you know so messenger marketing is going to be huge um, I said before if you're just getting the hang of Facebook you're in trouble I, I don't mean to panic anyone like don't stop now learning Facebook and just throw your hands in the air and go I'm done I can't figure it out like still go on that path it's too late, it's good. <laughs> it's too late. Yeah, close the doors no it, it, of course like keep going along that path and there's people who can help expedite that for you but um, at the same time, like so messenger marketing is, is going to be huge. It's going to continue to get big. They're making some big changes on July 31st, which is going to limit a few features. But just get on board with messenger marketing. Do a couple of short courses. Um, Instagram is developing really, really quickly as well. And some of the features on Instagram are getting really, really popular. Instagram stories and IGTV would be two of the biggest things I would definitely invest in. I mean, my story, for example, I can see now hashtags used to be big on Instagram. You could post on Instagram. And as long as you put a couple of good hashtags, you would get a fair reach out of it. Now you put a few hashtags and you can already see that, that Instagram are pulling back on hashtags and they're going to make you pay for those as a business. Um, but things like my Instagram stories, I will get 30, 40, 50% of my total following see my Instagram story, which is crazy. And because you've got those things like, you know, the gifts and the stickers and things like that, you can interact on stories and you can build that sort of personality with, with Instagram stories. So definitely for people listening on now, messenger marketing, Instagram stories, Instagram TV would definitely be three. I would look out for and definitely start to really focus my time and attention. And I guess the other thing as well is tr trying to develop yourself as a personality online. Um, I guess I, I talk about this in the book, but uh, I guess one of the examples I use is um, in the book is uh, with uh, Dr. Oz, right? I think everybody is familiar with Dr. Oz, the US doctor. He's got his own TV show, partnered with Oprah for a while and, he, and became sort of famous that way. 
and you know the, the jury's out. I'm not I'm not a surgeon. I'm not a doctor, so I can't say whether or not Doctor Roz is the best doctor in the world. But I know that if you wanted to get a, um, a you know a clinical treatment by Doctor Roz, you would be paying through the teeth. Why is that? Well, because Doctor Roz has has positioned himself as the expert, as the leader, as the industry, you know, as the person go to go to in the industry. So that if he said something, if someone was charging $1,000, he could charge $10,000 because he's Dr. Oz. And when we, first, when we first started, when I first started business, I always got told, like, never make yourself the center of the business because you'll never sell the business and all that sort of stuff. But people have been so beaten down by businesses these days. Like, they're just sick and tired of being overpromised and underdelivered. They're sick and tired of the lies. They're sick and tired of the discounts. They're sick and tired of, like, you promising one thing and delivering another. And so then it went to, we'll get some testimonials. But now people are aware that you can just rig the testimonials. You can get 10 of your friends to go online and give you a five-star Google review. Or you can go on Facebook. Oh, your family giving you a review, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, with all the same surname. That's really weird. But people are starting to see through that. And so what is it that people are really lacking in 2019? What is it, that's, what is it that people are really missing in their life? And the answer is connection. And... You know, we live in a in an era where we're, we're connected more to more devices and more platforms than any other time in human history, yet we feel more disconnected and disenfranchised with society than ever before in history. And so how do you bridge that gap? Well, you have to be vulnerable. You have to show that you are a human being. You have to show that you're not perfect. You have to show that you're, you know, you, you do things wrong. And so having a personal brand that people can actually connect to will allow people to want to do business with you more. And so Instagram stories is a good, um, is a good way of doing that. And I said to one of my um, junior marketing girls the other day, she's like, what's the difference between a business page and a Facebook group? Like, what do you put on your Facebook group and what do you put on your business page? And I said, your Facebook business page is like the final cut of a movie. So it's like if you're making Titanic, it's like you put Titanic on your Facebook page. Your Facebook group or your Instagram story, whichever one you want to look at, what platform, that's like your behind the scenes. It's your bloopers. It's your outtakes. It's the things you're not doing overly well, but they're still part of your business and it makes you who you are and it makes the business who you are. And by and large, we get more business from our Instagram stories and more business from our Facebook groups where we show our vulnerabilities and that we are human beings and not this perfect beast. We get more business from that by tenfold than we do the perfect presentation on our Facebook page. That's a really good way of putting it with the groups and the pages. Just like Facebook has said they want to build more communities, they're putting a heavy focus on building those groups and, and uh, communities. So yeah, it's definitely something that people should be looking into anyways, even just, you know, just to help out other people with questions, you know. Yeah, I was listening to Gary Vee the other day and he said he was talking to a, um, a motor shop dealer and uh, he said like traditionally uh, salespeople in, in motor car dealerships if they're not, if there's no one on the lot, then they kind of just sit there and just browse Facebook or they do something in the in their office, waiting for someone to come onto the parking lot. He said now, like they've got um, community managers who will sit on Twitter all day and just search for the hashtag broken down, or search for the hashtag flat tire, or search for these hashtags. And then when someone comments on there, they're like, oh, stuck on the side of the road, flat tire, they jump in and go, hey, you know what? We've got a spare car at the dealership. Let me come pick you up, and we'll organise a tow truck for you. And it's just like, the, there's, there's such a shift now. It's so smart. It's so smart, right? And when you say it, you go, of course. Why, why did I do that? It's, the, it's not obvious until someone says it. But I think it's definitely like you're talking about, like community shift is, is huge. And can you imagine what that person would be thinking when a business reaches out to them and says, yeah, I'll just come pick you up. You're stuck on the side of the road. Don't worry about it. I'll come pick you up for free. Yeah. You'd be so shocked though, because you wouldn't expect that. Like no one's doing it. But there would sort of still be that part of you going, is this a setup? Is this a bit of a ruse? Like, 
am I being on punked? Three hours later, you're still sitting on the side of the road. But yeah, I think it's a case of watching the space because everything is shifting. You you alluded to this earlier and you said like when people come to you for coaching and stuff, the first thing you kind of look into is helping them get on the path to get out of the chair or get out of the treatment room. Changing habits is not exactly the easiest thing. Uh, and a lot of people from the industry who've grown up in the industry actually really enjoy being behind the chair or doing treatments. So like what are quick tips for people looking into shifting their mindset into becoming more business focused, but having a hard time letting go? Um, yeah, it's such a good question. Um, and it's definitely something that, that comes up a lot. I just think you can't have a, uh, you, you can't have a finger in both pies and you can't stand on both sides of the fence. You either commit to being what we've discussed here, like a salonpreneur and you go, right, I'm all in as a business owner now on the business. Or you say, no, I love cutting hair. I don't want to get out from behind the chair. I'm going to go all in and stay as a hairdresser. But either way, you have to have someone who fills the other role. And you have to have someone there full time who's filling the other role. And so if your decision is, you know what, I've been a hairdresser for 20 years or I've been a beauty technician or skin therapist for, for, for 20 years. I love what I do. It's what gets me up out of bed. It's what I, it just drives my passion. It's what makes me happy. And I'd never want to give that up. So Billy, you can jam your salonpreneur. I don't want to do it. Um, some people would listen to this and say that. Um, then that's okay. And I understand that people should always do what they're passionate about. But if you want to survive over the next five, 10 years in business and certainly longer, then you have to have someone who fills that void. So you need to hire an operator who is going to do the business development side, who's going to be full-time on the marketing, who's going to be full-time on the mentoring, the training and the career development, who's going to do all of those things from a business perspective. You just can't do half and half. Otherwise, that's, that's usually when it all falls down because as a human, we always navigate and migrate towards the things that we love. And so you might have the great intentions going, no, I still want to cut hair, but I'm still going to do some of that business stuff. But if you really love cutting hair, eventually you'll just end up cutting hair and you do 10% of business stuff because you love it. So um, you've got to make a commitment to one way or the other and whatever way you decide, then have someone else who's going to fill that void. Otherwise, you're just going to spread yourself thin. Like you said, like if you've got family, if you've got responsibilities, like you've got your salon business, but you also still have a life outside of that too. So where do you get to do that education, that growing, that self-development? If, if you have a family, you're probably quite limited in your time. It's great when you're young, but as you get older, this stuff is harder to do. So you, you will kind of need to make that decision. Exactly. We've got um, a couple of young people in my team at work. And when they come to work and they go, oh, I'm just so tired, I had a bad night's sleep or... You know, oh, I just don't know when to fit it in on my time. Like, you're 22. How much more time do you need? <laughs> you know, that was like me this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was staying up watching Stranger Things last <laughs> night, and then I just lost all my sleep, and now I'm tired today. Yeah, it's a tough life. At least you have the excuses not being 22. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's really difficult. Yeah, someone's got to work. <laughs> So, so quick question, if someone had to make that switch, comes to you and is decided, right, I'm, I'm switching over, I'm becoming this business owner, focusing on the business. How long does it take usually to go through that process? Because obviously you have to like, you know, you have to make a lot of changes, you have to get your staff on board and all that. Like, does, is it like a six month kind of thing, three month kind of thing, maybe a year? Typically, when people come to you, how long does that process kind of take? Yeah, look, on average, maybe let's, let's call it six months, uh, but it really does. It is, 
dependent on the business and the position of the business. Now, if someone comes to me and goes, you know what, we're, we're sitting with $150,000 in our working capital account. Uh, we've got heaps of money, heaps of clients. The business is good. Then cool. You could probably make that decision sooner rather than later and go, okay, cool. Well, let's start to make some pretty swift actions and you can pull out pretty quickly and we can start to develop that. If someone says, you know what, I've been running the business for three years and the reason I want to step off the floor is because I've been running it for three years and we're not making money. In fact, we're making a loss. Then that's a very precarious situation because if you step out of the business and you don't have the skills to immediately get results in marketing or in, in the development of the business, then all of you've done, all you've done is taken away usually the, the highest money earner, which is usually yourself from the business, and you've had to replace that with an extra wage. And so now your expenses have, have risen and your costs and your sorry, your revenue has dropped. And so that's a, an even worse situation to be in. So usually what I would recommend to people is, is, I always recommend this with most business strategies, is to reverse engineer it, is to say, okay, let's, let's work at six months. And now say in six months' time, we're going to have you completely out of the business. So where does that, what does that look like then at four months' time? Okay, well, maybe you're only working three, months, three days a week in the business at four months' time. Okay, well, but it's going to take you two months to really start to make, get some momentum. So let's keep you in the business full time for the first two months. But in any downtime, instead of cleaning or instead of like going to that, you know, hair course that you've done four times before in the last three years, we're going to start to develop some of the policies and procedures and structure around the business. And then it's just little by little, like we would go into the, the macro is really reverse engineering it, but then the micro is what happens in between those months. And it is, it's like, you know, creating a policy manual where, Every single time a staff member or something happens in the business or they phone you up as a business owner, like your team calls you up and says, hey, where do I find this? If that happens, then you want to write that down and write an answer for it in the policy manual. And every single time a question is asked, that they, you can't then say to them, go to the policy manual and it will give you the answer. If the policy manual doesn't have that in, then you add it in. And so all of these questions keep adding up and adding up and adding up. And eventually you will get to the point where the team phones you up and says, hey, what's this? And you go, just go to the policy manual. It's in there. And you then are not the only resource in the business for information. You can, you're can you not dependent on. And when you're not dependent on, when you're not the sole person in the business who has to make the decisions and, and provide the solutions and the answers, then all of a sudden your time is freed up. And then you can drop two days a week and just do three days a week at work. And then, you know, over time you develop that a little bit more and you can see that your two days a week at home is starting to develop better results for your business. And so then you can obviously pull back a little bit more. And so you can just do that incrementally. You don't have to do go, oh, I listened to Billy on Forest and so tomorrow I'm out. Like, I'm out. I'm not going back to the anymore. <laughs> we definitely not recommend that. Um, but, but certainly like having a plan, but, but usually starting with an end date and then working way backwards and figuring out what you need to do to get there. I really like the uh, kind of building your knowledge base idea because that is probably one of the hardest breakaways is being the source of kind of knowledge, the person that everyone goes to. So if you can replace yourself with a book or uh, like an online wikis or something. And your staff will get used to it where they ask you questions and eventually you just keep going, go to the book, go to the resource. And eventually they'll just stop asking you questions. Or they know the only time they can come to you is like, yeah, I've checked everything and you don't have this information. So what do I do? And then that's just a, that's just a flag then for you go, oh shit, I, need, well, I don't know if you have to swear on your podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you can, you can add, add it into the book. So Billy, just to kind of like recap what we've talked about here today, if I've listened to this episode and I'm still not sure if I'm stuck in the kind of old mindset or if I am progressing towards the new mindset, do you have any, I suppose, like 
little quick list of things to kind of say, right, old mindset, here's what you should be doing. Do you have any kind of comparisons for someone to identify which stage of the salonpreneur they're at? I do. It's in my book, which I don't have handy at the moment. But um, if you if you do download the book, um, at the back of the book, there's a, there's a list of uh, old and new. And I guess with the old and new, it's not necessarily like you're stuck there. It's like, oh, look, I fill the old category. That's me now. That's what I am. Um, it's, it can be, oh, wow. I, you know, it, it's interesting. There's a, there's a lady, I won't mention her name on here, but um, she's been in the industry. She actually comes from the UK. She's been in the industry for, I think, about 30 years. And everything she's ever done has been all about hair education. And, and it's the old school. And she's built business after business after business on reputation and quality service. But recently, she's moved to Australia, and recently I, I asked her to read my book when I first launched it, probably about 12 months ago, when it was in its draft phase. And, uh, and she goes, yeah, interesting. And it wasn't, there was no real review of it. it was like, yeah. Over the past 12 months, her and I have kind of developed a relationship, and we've had a pretty frank conversation about it now. She's like, you're totally right. You know what? These old things just aren't working for my business anymore. And she is someone who has been in the industry for 30 years, and she is now starting to do Facebook Live. She's starting to do Instagram stories. And we've, again, we've had conversations where she's like, you know, it, I can already see my business is turning around. And so you don't have to look at it and go, I'm old. I use old strategies. I'm stuck there. There's always a place for you to, to, to move and to transition. It might take you a little while longer, but, <clears throat> you know, I just don't want people to stay where they are because there's a, there's a quote, I think I say it in the book, that um, resisting change is like holding your breath. You can do it, but eventually you'll die. And, um, and it's so true. Like if, if you want to resist change, you can resist it, but... It's not gonna. It's not gonna play out well for you. Well, if anything, not sharing that list of the mindset changes is probably a good call to action because now we have to mention that you can get that list in the dawn of the new salonpreneur ebook, which you can find by searching into Google. It's also going to be in the episode show notes, Billy. If anyone wants to reach out to you and get advice or get some coaching or even just have a chat, how can people do that? Uh, they can find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Billy Rickman official um, or just search Billy Rickman on my on Facebook. Um, you can also have a look at uh, on Instagram, which is the real B underscore Rickman. Talk about it's a bit that of a, brand identity, huh? A bit of a, um, yeah, people always give me stick about the name. Like, really, who do you think you are? The real B Rickman? Do you think there's other Billy Rickmans out there? It started off as a personal account and it was just a bit of a parody account. And then all of a sudden I started getting some business tra- um, traction from it. So now I'm stuck with it. So it's the real B underscore Rickman on Instagram. You can definitely reach out to me uh, or on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Perfect. And you also have a podcast of your own. I do have a podcast of my own. Yeah, I need to do a new series. I haven't done an episode in a while, but I think we're up to about episode 107 or something like that. Um, if you just search for the, uh, the Billy Rickman Show on um, any of the podcast channels on iTunes or any of the Android platforms, you'll find it on there. Great stuff. Well, Billy, listen, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. And I hope that kind of gives some good insight and kind of, I suppose, helping our listeners identify where they're at. Like maybe you are already in the new age of salonpreneur, but that's, that's the kind of like the best thing about this stuff. It's just, it's kind of putting yourself into check, seeing where you are, identifying if I need to learn new things, then I'm developing. If I already know what's been discussed, then you're on the right track. Like it's a good start. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I don't want to, I don't want people to listen to this and think like he's coming from this pompous platform of, you know, um, talking on a pedestal or, and, and trying to talk down to people saying, oh, you're not as, you know, you're not progressing like you should be or anything like that. This really is a call to action to people to say, look, the things are changing. Industry is changing. And we don't want to, in Australia, we have a really high failure rate for hair and beauty. 
So a lot of businesses open in hair and beauty, but also we have a, an exceedingly high failure rate. And so businesses close at just as, just as quick a rate. And I really want to change that. And that's part of my mission over here as part of the, the, the culture we try to create in our programs is I want to change the industry in that way. So the biz, people who fell in love with hair and beauty and then decided to open a hair and beauty business can stay in love with hair and beauty because their hair and beauty business is thriving. And so this comes from a place of, of empathy and compassion and, and, and a hope that people will listen and be able to really, you know, understand that if you want to keep your business and you want to have a thriving business, then maybe there's a different way. Maybe there's new ways that can help improve my business and get me to where I want to be. Lovely message to end that on. <laughs> Thank you so much, Billy. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thinking of switching salon software companies but fear the migration process? How long will it take? What happens to my staff and clients' details or my roster? Look, when you sign up for Forest Salon Software, it's our mission to transfer your data from your previous provider smoothly and safely onto your new one, us. Manage, market, and grow your business with Forest Salon Software. Visit forest.com for more details. So that was Billy Rickman, Australian-based coach and founder of the Salon Growth Conference. And for anyone that does want to check out that ebook, you can find the link in our blurb. It's called The Dawn of the New Salonpreneur. And now for our Inside Forest segment, we kick things off as usual with Forest Academy. Yeah, so the Forest Academy is your one-stop education shop. It's an online learning portal full of fun, interactive and bite-sized self-taught training courses covering each and every area of your forest system. So when you log into Forest Academy, you can do learning paths, which are a series of courses covering like Get Started with Forest or Products and Inventory, or you can delve into just the small little bite-sized five-minute courses, learning any area of the product that you want to find out about now, like end of day cash up or booking appointments. Most importantly, there's an achievements tab as well that you can download your Forest Academy certificates every time you complete a course. So if you want to get involved in that, just email forestfm at forest.com and just say Forest Academy or sign me up, Killian. Otherwise, you can always email training at forest.com with the same thing too, and we'll get you set right up. And coming up soon on August 18th, it's a Sunday, um, Conscious Hair and Beauty by Forest Salon Software. It's taking place in London. Now, we've talked about this uh, on the show last week with Professor Denise Baden, and we actually have a few more speakers announced. So we have Jenny Lawson, founder of Mimosa Beauty, uh, Anne Vec and Keith Mellon, and Natalie C. Morrison. So for all the information on the Conscious Hair and Beauty event taking place in London, on August 18th, uh, you can either head over to our Facebook page or click the link in the episode's notes right here. The tickets are available and uh, we're looking forward to seeing you. This should be a really, really cool event. First of its type anyways for us. And the theme is sustainability in the salon industry and personal wellness. Following that, we also have the Salon Owners Summit 2020, which the first speaker has been announced. The tickets are on sale. So the first speaker is Stephanie Fox Jackson. We've had her on the show before a couple times and um, she's going to be talking about team building 101 so all of her research on millennials gen z how to recruit the top talent how to retain them why they're coming up differently in the workplace compared to other previous generations so yeah if you want to request a callback for the flagship salon owner summit event in dublin january 2020 you can click the link in the episode's notes fill out your details and we'll give you a callback for that 
And then finally, as usual, we have the Salon Mentorship Hub. So it's a place to connect with industry mentors, coaches, and consultants. So whether you're a forest client or not, whatever you're struggling with in the salon, you can book yourself in for a free consultation on a topic of your choosing. Just head over to salonmentors.forest.com and the mentors on the hub uh, can help you see the challenge, whatever you're struggling with from a new perspective. One last note before we wrap up the show today. If the podcast is Forest FM has helped your business and you want to pay it forward to someone else in the trade, you've got until July 31st, 2019 so a couple like a week now uh, to cast your votes for Forest FM at the podcast awards 2019 uh, so as you know obviously the podcast's purpose has always been to build a community um, with you guys through educational and inspiring stories and conversations um, so Forest FM has actually been nominated in the people's choice 2019 category and in the business category if you want to cast your votes, you can sign up for a profile and have all the instructions. Just follow the link in the episode show notes. And once again, we thank you so much for supporting Forced FM. We wouldn't be able to do it without your involvement. And well, that's all we got for this week, guys. So as always, if you want to share your thoughts on this episode or have any suggestions, please send us an email at forestfm at forest.com or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We genuinely love feedback and are always looking for ways to improve the show. Otherwise, have a wonderful week and we'll catch you next Monday. All the best. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z. Great music makes great moments. Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Forest FM, the Salon Owners podcast, is brought to you by Forest Salon Software. We help salon owners get their clients back in more often, spending more, and generating referrals. Let's grow.